0: Probably for the next two or three weeks, I'm planning on uh, discussing Melchizedek, Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, uh, and I want us to go to Genesis chapter 14. So basically, the way we're going to do this, uh, we're going to focus mainly on the Old Testament references to Melchizedek, and then uh, ne- the next couple of weeks, well, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. And uh, really talk a lot more about the doctrinal significance. The other, another thing I 'm going to do today too I 'm just going to warn everybody ahead of time i 'm going to do a little bit of speculating, some speculation about Melchizedek. Never take someone 's speculation as doctrine. There are just some things we don 't know, and so uh, we 're allowed to speculate as long as it doesn 't contradict the Bible. The problem is is when we go around trying to defend our speculation. You know, when somebody points out something that maybe is contrary, we don't, want, uh, we don't want to be that way. And a lot of people are like that, especially when it comes to prophecy. There's a lot we don't know. People speculate. And then speculation ends up turning into doctrine. And I, I don't ever want that to be the case with me. But anyway, in and, and Genesis 14, verse 14 says, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318 and pursued them unto Dan. The first thing I want to point out about that is that this is a reminder of just how great a man Abraham was. It's Whenever you read these stories in the Bible, you feel like it's Abraham and Sarah out in a tent by themselves somewhere, or maybe he's got a couple servants. He had 318 soldiers in his house. Abraham was a rich, very rich and wealthy man. And keep that in mind, too, for when we talk about, uh, for Sunday night's message. Abraham was very blessed by God. He was very rich. He was very wealthy. He had many servants under him, and he, uh, you know, he owned a lot of cattle and things, and so people, they worked and they served under him, because God blessed the things he did. These weren't like slaves where they couldn't get away or anything like that. These were people who wanted to work for Abraham because he was a good man, and it was, be, you know, it was mutually beneficial you know, having an agreement to work for him and for uh, you know because uh, God was blessed the work that he did. So these people that were under him, they were they uh, they were blessed in many ways. But he had 318 soldiers, and so verse 15 says, and he divided himself against them and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus, and he brought back all the goods and also again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings which were with him in the valley of Shava, which is in the king's dale. And so notice how a bunch of uh, flaming Sodomites were not able to take out these armies, but Abraham and his heterosexual band of men, uh, they went and they took care of business. They took care of these four kingdoms that were able to take... Uh, take out the uh, one kingdom of Homos. And so understand this was not Abraham being defensive of the Sodomites. It was Abraham being defensive of Lot, his brother, a man that he loved greatly. And he, so he was wanting to help him. And so notice too, it mentions the Valley of Shave. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, which is the King's Dale. Now that Valley of Shave, if you look that up, that is um, a valley that's um, right outside of Jerusalem. We looked at it recently. It's a part of the Kidron Valley, the valley uh, that goes around, kind of around Jerusalem. Uh, you know, different sections that kind of have different names, but there's like one valley that kind of goes around the city, and you know, you've got the Brook Kidron that's in there, or the Kidron Valley. It's known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Um, it's known as, I'm forgetting one. But also it uh, it eventually goes to a part known as the valley of the son of Hinnom, and that's where some of Israel's most abominable things have taken place. But this valley of Shaveh or the Kidron Valley, right here this picture you're seeing it's up on a hill right above that very valley, and so just kind of keep that in mind and so we're reading this story in the in the Bible and this is just this is interesting to me because if I, if we didn't have the New Testament, I wouldn't even think that much about this character, Melchizedek, that we're about to see. I really wouldn't. If it wasn't, well, and if it wasn't for Psalms, a reference in, to him in Psalms, we wouldn't even think that much about him. But I'm telling you, I think Melchizedek was a lot more important of a figure than we realize, and I think one of the reasons he's been downplayed is because of people's confusion thanks to dispensational theology. Where if you throw out dispensationalism, all of a sudden I think you understand a little more who he is and then all of a sudden it makes sense why the writer of Hebrews made such a big deal about him. And so, uh, and a lot of those things we'll probably talk about in the next couple of weeks, but I want to I wanna not get sidetracked here. So verse 18, all of a sudden we're introduced to this character and it says in Melchizedek, king of Salem, okay? And anybody guess what Salem would eventually be called? Jerusalem. All right, Jerusalem. Salem means peace. Jerusalem means city of peace. And so um, this Valley of Shaveh, this is right there, a valley that's just below Salem, which is where Melchizedek is king of. And it says that he brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, that sounds like a pretty big title right there. Priest of the Most High God. That's exactly who he was. But here's the thing. If you're a dispensationalist, um, the law hasn't been given yet. The sacrifices haven't been, you know, all these, the, the priesthood hasn't been set up yet. How was there a priest of the Most High God before the law? And we'll probably say more about that in a little bit. But here we have a priest of the Most High God before Israel has been established. Before the man Israel has even been born. Before the law has been given, we've got this man named Melchizedek who's known as a priest of the Most High God. And then watch this. And so, it mentions that he was priest of the Most High God and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Okay, now, just uh, I, I, this is just kind of an extra thing I want to throw out there. But whenever you hear people, and I, I've been hearing a ton of this lately, okay, people crying about my position on Daniel 9, and they like to bring up the antecedent rule, okay? And that's where basically you ignore the context of the entire chapter of Daniel 9, and you make the he... When it says he shall confirm a covenant with many, they'll say, Well, it has to be the last person mentioned, and therefore it's the people of the princes shall come. But then that would be a they, if that was the case. But they'll 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 try to force it in there. No, that he is definitely, without a doubt, referring to the Messiah. But they just demand there's this antecedent rule that they do weird things with. But let's 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 do the antecedent rule on this. Right, look at what it says again. It says and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. That's Melchizedek talking to Abraham. Who is the last person mentioned? Alright, it's, it's, the, we have, we literally have Melchizedek talking, and it said, and he gave him tithes of all. So did Melchizedek give Abraham tithes, or did Abraham give Melchizedek tithes? Well, according to the antecedent rule, Melchizedek gave Abraham tithes, but in Hebrews, we're going to see later, Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. So, just keep that in mind. Um, you know, when they translated the Bible in 1611, they didn't follow all our modern uh, English rules in, in a lot of areas. So, just, just remember that we don't have to... And you know what? We can read this story, and it's obvious who gave who tithes. Okay? It's, it, you know, we're, we're allowed to look at context, but when people are trying to force bad theology into Scripture, they'll use whatever rule they need. And you could find a rule somewhere, but I don't see the Bible following that rule. But anyway, verse 21, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich." save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. So Abraham, he didn't want anything from this king of Sodom. Uh, he didn't want Sodom, this, or this king, taking credit for Abraham's riches. And, you know, probably too, he just wasn't impressed with this dude. If you're the king of Sodom, you can't be a good man. Right? And you know what? Typically, leaders are a reflection Of their country and so in genesis 13 we saw that the men of sodom were wicked exceeding it makes sense that the king of sodom would be wicked exceeding and you know that's why we have dementia joe as a president of the united states look how wicked our country and how brain dead our country is our country is basically a walking corpse and that's pretty much what we have in the white house we get what we deserve ladies and gentlemen and you say can it get any worse I think we might deserve Kamala. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, pretty, pretty soon they're not going to keep be able to keep animating Joe Biden's lifeless body. And uh, everybody's going to realize he's already dead. And, you know, they're going to have to put Kamala in there. So I don't know. It, it, it could get a lot worse. But anyway, back to the, sto- what, uh, the story here in the Bible. But interestingly enough, this story, it just ends right here. In the very next chapter, we see God speaking to Abraham in a vision, making a covenant with him. And again, if it wasn't for the New Testament, we wouldn't even think a whole lot about this individual. He'd be a mystery in many ways, but he almost becomes a greater mystery because of what we see in Psalms. In Psalms 110 verse 1, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Okay, if that passage is familiar to you, Peter quoted this in Acts 2.34, When it says, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Back to Psalm 110, verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Did you know this spot right here is literally on Mount Zion? in jerusalem okay we're going to show more about this spot here in a little bit and i personally believe that the earthly mount zion is named after the heavenly mount zion because there's a mount zion in heaven and so i believe that i believe god named this mountain after the mountain in heaven because this was going to be a place too where sacrifices were going to be made where god was going to have his temple and where where jesus is going to rule from one of these days so Hebrews uh, 12 22 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So there is a heavenly Jerusalem, a heavenly Mount Zion. And so Zechariah 8:1 says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And so understand, Mount Zion is where Melchizedek was priest at. And in Psalms 110, verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath he shall judge among the heathen he shall fill the places with dead bodies he shall wound the heads over many countries he shall drink of the brook in the way therefore shall he lift up the head and folks these passages are so cool and if when you're familiar with the location and if in Israel they would have been familiar with the location when he's talking about these things first off we have Melchizedek mentioned in there. And we know this is prophetic about Jesus because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We are, we know we have Mount Zion mentioned there, which everybody knows that's where Melchizedek, uh, where he served from. That, uh, we also know, too, that Mount Zion is where the temple was okay? and where it currently would have been when this psalm was written. Notice it mentions a brook that's there. The Brook Kidron is down in the bottom of that valley. You can't see it anymore; it's kind of underground now. But there, they found uh, the water source down there. Also, it says too, he will fill the place with dead bodies. And we did a lesson a couple of weeks ago where we talked about the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and that's where the blood flows the horse bridles. So all these things here in Psalms, there's so much we can, that you can connect. And when you read, whenever I read this, I do. I, you can just kind of literally see a picture. Now I'm going to show you. Uh, some pictures uh, from when I was in Israel, but this is actually a new that was discovered. Uh, for, I'm not not that long ago. Uh, we talked to the guy who discovered it. There's a lot you can find on the internet about it. Uh, his name's Eli Shukron, and they've been excavating this Mount, city of David, Mount Zion area, where the Bible says the temple was built. Okay? everything he describes about this place says this is where the temple was, but they won't admit that's where the temple was. But they literally some years back. They found these areas that, and and I don't, I'm not an archaeologist, but they'll tell you this is where they would do sacrifices. I don't remember exactly what these things are in there for. I think they think they were for some kind of stands and things that they had, but they believe this was kind of like a slaughter area for where they would kill the animals and things for the sacrifices. Behind here is a rock and I'm just telling you what they said, but the rock that's behind there, they said it was set up like a pillar similar to the one that Jacob did in Bethel and so he believes Melchizedek put one there I don't know it it is kind of a random rock put in a in a a carved out spot so they put it there on purpose why I don't know but they think it was similar to what Jacob did in Bethel Um, this next picture this they believe is a blood channel where the blood would flow when they would slaughter all the animals this is very right by the Gihon Springs in fact um, up above there is the entrance to Hezekiah's tunnel, and I, it was really cool because I had seen videos of this before, but they were old videos when a lot of this wasn't open and exposed like it is now. And I remember we were up there, and I was looking down, and sure enough, I saw those things in there, and I got all excited because I'd seen pictures and videos of these things. Like that's, I told Paul, well, that's the Altar Melchizedek, and we were talking to the guy that's kind of the the guard up there. And we'd been talking, being real nice and everything. And he gave us permission to go down there. Normally, you got to have, like, special access and get right people. He just let us go down there. And so we went down there just checking everything out, taking pictures and video. So that was pretty cool. But this hole in there, too, they said is like an olive press, which they would use for the uh, olive oil. They would use for a lot of things in the sacrifices. Uh, They have these stalls where they would put the, they believe, where they put the animals in. So, and obviously, and all of this stuff dates back 4,000 years to the time of Melchizedek. Now, it is possible that this, some of this stuff could be First Temple stuff. It's possible. It's my opinion. Some of this stuff could be First Temple stuff, but they will not admit that because they can't admit Solomon's Temple is over here. They don't want to admit that. So, what they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, we do know Melchizedek had something over here. So, they call it the Altar Melchizedek. But I think they probably did it in the same place. God always knew where the temple was going to be, you know. God always knew where Jesus was going to rule and reign from. So, you know, I, I don't know either way. In the city of David, on Mount Zion, they found they found this place that was buried under all kinds of stuff. I mean, they they had to do a lot of digging to get down to this, but they found a place where they used to do sacrifices um, for a temple. We shouldn't be surprised they would find something like that there. And that's a picture of me there. Uh, at it but I think that's all the pictures I have I do want to show you some videos of this that I think are worth one uh, um, I'll play for you so I'll I'll just kind of let these videos play while I uh, talk about some of these next things but yeah this is where I was standing and I looked down there I was like I, I recognize those things I got real excited when I saw that but that hill right there Where you're looking at, at that hill right there too, I don't know the exact spot, but that's where Robert Cornuke believes Jesus actually died on the cross, which kind of makes sense too. I mean, think about if Melchizedek is Jesus, which I believe he was, he's doing these sacrifices and everything literally within sight of where someday he's going to die on the cross. We do know too, Jesus, he died outside the gates of the city, which this would be right outside uh, the gates of the city. I mean, this fits a lot of stuff that the Bible tells us. But, I mean, the amount of stuff that happened in that area, uh, you know, it'll, it'll kind of blow your mind. And then here's a video of me just kind of, when I went down there, uh, just looking around. I didn't really know for sure what I was going to find. But, just a a lot of history happened in that area. And so, some theories about Melchizedek. Okay, The, the theories about Melchizedek, is most people, I think, would agree that he was a pre-incarnate Jesus. That it was basically uh, God the Son on earth before you know he was born of a virgin because Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been, of course, for him to die, he had to take on him the seed of Abraham. He had to uh, be born and live a life just like we did. But uh, we're going to see some things about Melchizedek later when we get to Hebrews. They give a lot of evidence for that. We would never really know that just from reading Genesis, Uh, but at the same, but I think Hebrews uh, gives us uh, some credibility to that. Some people believe he was Shem. Now, I don't know where they get that from for sure. Uh, I know the book of Jasher teaches that Melchizedek was Shem and Shem was still alive the son of Noah, he was still alive during the time of Abraham. Shem definitely lived long enough to do that. Uh, there's a lot of reasons I don't think he's Shem. Uh, but, uh, some too might just think he was just a random guy. But that name Melchizedek, it means king of right. Or, and, uh, or he's referred to, or a king of righteousness. And so, uh, let's go ahead and go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Because, so uh, in Hebrews 4, we just saw in Hebrews 4 how Jesus was our high priest, which would cause a lot of questions for Jews and, and they're the ones that are being spoken to here. Did it already play through all the video? I don't know I don't know how long that goes, but I think that's probably enough of it. That was just kind of some of that was just me exploring but uh, trying to trying to get into authorized unauthorized places that were locked. But anyway, you think you wouldn't break any rules over in Israel because they're so crazy over there. But honestly, I never saw law enforcement anywhere except giving parking tickets around the old city. And then you'd see soldiers around some of the hot spots. But other than that, I, I felt pretty safe um, just doing whatever when I was over there. But anyway, uh, so Hebrews 5.1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor under himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So notice that role of the high priest, that was a great honor that no one takes upon themselves. And the writer of Hebrews, he's, he's saying this again, to Jews who understand the law and they understand the significance of certain things. Nobody can just aspire to be the high priest. No, you have to be called of God. And so understand, Aaron was the one who was called of God. Aaron and his descendants They were the ones who were called of God to be the high priest. If you were Joshua's son, Joshua was a great man, but he can't aspire to be a high priest. You might remember Uzziah, who was a good king in the Bible. Later, he got lifted up with pride and he decided he was going to go offer, uh, he was going to go do an offering uh, on the altar of incense, I believe it was. And you know what God did? He smote him with leprosy. Because it didn't matter he was the king. He was not called of God to be a high priest. The high priest was a very special thing. And so what Hebrews is doing here, it's saying Jesus Christ is our high priest. But you know what? Jesus did not take that role in himself. No man does that. Jesus is the high priest because God called him to be the high priest. God chooses the high priest. It's not up to man. It is up to God. And so if Jesus is a high priest, it's because he's called of God. And so all the priests that the Bible shows are either from the line of Melchizedek or Aaron. That's all we see in the Bible. So verse 5, So Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And he saith in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we already read that in Psalms. And the writer of Hebrews is just proving God called Jesus to be the high priest. No one claims that for themselves. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was hurt and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And this is a reference to what Jesus did in Gethsemane. Understand, Jesus needed to learn obedience, which is one of the reasons too God had him take that cup of sin that he did not want to take. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Because Jesus was holy, him and God were always going to be in agreement. There was no reason for him to be obedient. You know, he's always going to want to do what God wants to do. But when it came to taking sin on him, that's not something somebody holy is going to want to do. And Jesus Christ, he was completely holy Even as a man, he was holy. He was without sin. And there was nothing in him, you know, even in his holy flesh that would want to take sin on himself. But he needed to do that so he could, one, be a merciful high priest, so he could understand obedience. And so he did that and he submitted to the will of the Father and was obedient to him. And uh, and he learned that in the garden. So just kind of an amazing thing right there. And so verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And he was already perfect as far as sinless, but he became complete. Now he can be that merciful high priest. He understands obedience. And it says, uh, Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. For when... For the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And he's kind of rebuking them here you know, like this is something that they should understand, basically. And so, if I may kind of give some of my own thoughts and opinions here, we're going to go into chapter 6 next week, uh, where it talks more about Melchizedek and just the significance of Jesus Christ being the high priest. But if I may just kind of give some thoughts and opinions. Okay? I personally believe that there has probably always been a high priest. So, for example, I believe that it's, it's very possible. I can't prove this. I think it's very possible that Melchizedek, because he does not have beginning of days nor end of life. It's, we're going to see later in Hebrews. I think he was always around, uh, operating as a high priest, up until God called Aaron. Until, and, and that's what the thing people need to realize. There was sacrifices before the law. This is where dispensationalists get mixed up. They think all these things started with the law. No, Abel did sacrifices. Abraham did sacrifices. There were clean and unclean animals before the law. God told Noah to take seven of the clean animals. How would he know what the clean animals are when the law hasn't been given yet? How how come Cain already knew, or Cain said, everyone that finds me will want to slay me after he killed his brother. People say the death penalty started after the flood no they had these things before that where did these things come from here's what you got to understand in the scriptures those things i believe those things were always around i believe a priesthood was always around but it was eventually given to israel god ended up get committing the oracles of god to israel to that nation the world kept going bad and so God ended up choosing Abraham and God decided he was going to raise his seed up through Abraham and through his people. And so we see in the scriptures too, God eventually gave the priesthood to Israel. And then later it was taken from them and given to Jesus. And now uh, it's back to the order of Melchizedek. You could say that, that that's what that's what I personally believe is going on. And so now we don't have sacrifices anymore. Not because Jesus ended the sa- or he quit the sacrifices. He finished the sacrifices. He finished them. He completed them. And he is still our high priest. He still ever lives to make intercession for us. But understand sacrifices are done. So we do still have a high priest. It's but it's after the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus is that high priest. And so that, so that's the thing that we're seeing in the scriptures is we're, you know, we're what, the, a lot of the Bible is about Israel. But understand, there were many of those things of the law, they were around before Israel. It, um, uh, Brother Sharp that I had on a program not that long ago, uh, Pastor Lucian, something those guys say all the time is God never starts anything in the middle. I remember the first time I heard him say that, I didn't know what they meant. But, but basically what they're saying, in dispensationalism, we always see God starting these new things. We see God starting the church at Caesarea Philippi, you know. But it's like, no, these things have always been around from the beginning. You know, in dispensationalism, they teach new gospels. They teach all these new dispensations. Like, no, these things were from the beginning. And so the sacrifices, we see them in the beginning. There's all these things that we see in the beginning. There was a, there was a high priest in the beginning. And so I, I think this is something uh, I personally believe he was probably always around. Now, again, the Bible does not tell us that much about that. The Bible does not tell us that much about Melchizedek. But either way, with just the little we have, you know, whoever wrote Hebrews got a lot of doctrine from that. And let me show you one other thing. Let me just give you another opinion. Hey, look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 and verse 6 says, now, Job, he probably lived around the same time as Abraham did. They were probably walking the earth at the same time. So, kind of keep that in mind. And it says, now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Okay. Now, I'm not even going to spend a lot of time debunking the stupid Nephilim doctrine. We've talked a lot about that before. But... The sons of God, I believe they were just saved people. We see in Genesis 4, where it talks about in the days of Enos, men began to call on the Lord. What did those guys do? I believe they offered sacrifices like Israel did. I believe they had different laws and ordinances and things that they did. That's what I believe. But unfortunately, they got corrupted. Again, we, we and so uh don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. But I believe these are saved people. I don't believe Abraham was the only saved man walking the earth during his day. I just believe he was a very special man that God chose because of his great faith and that he was one God chose that he was going to bring the seed from. That's who Abraham was. He was not the only saved guy walking the earth. And so in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and is true with evil. So you know, you all know that story. And so people see Satan and the Lord and they think this must be going on in heaven or something. No. What does it mean when it says the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord? Well, in Leviticus 16, in verse 1, this is when we have the, the priesthood has been given to Aaron. When the things of the law have been given to Israel. In Leviticus 16, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and he shall be girded with a linen girdle with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he not wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So notice whenever they would do these sacrifices at the tabernacle of the congregation, that was them presenting these things before the Lord. And where did they do this? At the tabernacle. And they did this through the priest. Well, where do you, so where do you think this took place with Job? I think it probably took place where these pictures were at Salem at the, at the altar Melchizedek. If that's in fact, the place, if Melchizedek was the priest of the most high God, I believe that the sons of God would come and they would present themselves before the Lord. They would bring their offerings. They would bring their sacrifices. They would follow those things that they did back in, back in those days. It says in Deuteronomy 31:14, and the Lord said unto Moses, behold, thy days approach that thou must die call joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation that i may give him a charge and moses and joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation so i personally believe that in job when we're seeing these sons of god present themselves before the lord i believe they were doing it at the tabernacle you say the tabernacle didn't come along until you know after the exodus no israel was not given the tabernacle until after the exodus but there was always a tabernacle there was always a people of god there was always a high priest there were always sacrifices we see those things before the law and we see a high priest before the law so in my opinion that story in job probably happened right in that area where we saw those pictures that's, uh, that's just kind of what I personally believe about that. But we've got to get it out of our head that the priestly things, all these things of the law, started in the wilderness. No. God never starts in the middle. Those things were in the beginning. You know why? Because God always knew how everything was going to play out. God always knew it was going to be Jesus. God always knew where Jesus was going to die. God always knew... You know, he declares the end from the beginning, not from the middle. He declares it from the beginning. And so, you know, while a lot of these things are not explicitly stated in the Bible, I do think there's good reason to believe it's going to happen that way. You know, and speaking of Brian Sharp, me and Brother Chris, we like knocked on his door yesterday. I mean, this guy looked and talked exactly like him. It was like blowing my mind. And he's just like telling us all this stuff. He was reading us these things that he wrote. And whenever he would talk about the, I mean, it was just like, I, I almost asked if like, I could take a picture of him. And, and I thought about calling Brother Sharp. and was like, hey, do you have a brother <laughs> in Illinois? <laughs> if, if you don't, I think you have a brother you don't know about. Because, I mean, this guy looked and sound, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was blowing my mind. And, but, any, but anyway, so just some interesting things about Melchizedek. And we'll talk more about him next week. He is, he's a fascinating character in the Bible. He is somebody who really existed. He was in Salem. And if you go over there too, you know, Eli Shukran, the guy who, who found all that, he'll tell you, this is where Jerusalem started. This is where the water source, the main water source is in Jerusalem. They used to do sacrifices here. they he, He'll tell you all these things. But if you say, is this where the temple was? No, no, because he loses his job. If he said that, he would lose his job. But you know what he did find out there? He found a bell from a priest's garment, like the Bible says they wore around the border of their garment, which is which is pretty cool too. But anyway, so we'll say more about that next week. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your Word and just the amazing things that we can see in it. Pray help us to uh, be good students of the Word, Lord. We thank you so much for uh, being our High Priest. We're thankful we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. And I pray you help us, Lord, to continue spreading the word about your sacrifice that you made on our behalf. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.